Okay, we've been walking through the book of Philippians. We're going to kind of continue that. We're in chapter 2. If you have a Bible or a tablet or a, a phone, you want to turn to Philippians 2. That's where we're going to be today. Um, I like to take on home improvement projects around my house. Basically, as a pastor, when you preach, you really don't know if you've done well or not. You don't know how effective it's being. You're, you're sort of, it's like a farmer planting seed, and you don't know when it's going to germinate and come up, that kind of thing. So, as a hobby, I like to do things that I can see that I've accomplished something. Because in, in my work, it doesn't always, you don't always know. And so, the way I do that a lot of times is watching home improvement videos. So, uh, I, I have one. Look, watch this. This is amazing. Who knew? I, I mean, really. The, the, the 50 seconds of this video is going to change your life right here. Watch this. Amazing. That's your hot air dryer. Look at that. Really cool. Oh, see, that, that hurts. Ah, ah, ah. Watch. Hot air dryer. And voila. Look at that. I mean, really. Oh, punk kid. Look at that. Oh, what a punky kid. Wrote on the wall. Wax crayon. Hot air dryer. Really pretty much the solution to every one of your problems in life, hot air dryer. Just want you to know that. You might not have known. Oh. You don't want to iron? Who wants to iron? Iron's for losers. Hot air dryer. It's amazing. Is that the last one? I can't remember. There's more? <gasps> yes. Oh. This stinks. Oh, hot air dryer. Look at that. Boom. We're done. I've watched videos about how to replace a board. Oh, wait a minute. Is there more? Oh. Oh. Hot air dryer, the solution to all your needs. Uh, I, I uh, bought a house. We had a hardwood floor. Somebody had drilled a hole in the floor uh, to run a cable through, uh, like a, a, a cable for your television. And I didn't want that there anymore. And so I watched a, a YouTube video, and, and it showed me how to replace that piece of wood. You want to know how? Hot air dryer. Uh, it was awesome. It's awesome. I believe, I really believe that if I had, if, if, one of you came to me and said, uh, will you pray for me? I need brain surgery. I, could, I would say to you, I'll watch a video. I'll do it for you. Now, I would make you sign a waiver, uh, but uh, I'd give it a go because I think you could learn anything. One of the happiest daddy moments in my life happened last week. Janelle, my number three daughter, calls me up and she says, Daddy, I replaced the bulb for my headlight today in my car. Now, she lives in Jackson, Tennessee, so... It's really good, because that's a long drive to, to change a bulb out. And you want to know how she did it? She watched a YouTube video. Now, here's the point of the YouTube video. The, the reason we watch those things is because it's good to have a model show us how to do it. It's good to have somebody who knows how to do it show us how to do it. And this is the kind of the whole point of Philippians chapter 2. Now, Let's review just a little bit, a couple of verses here. Um, the whole second chapter of Philippians is Paul. Remember, Paul was a guy that started this church, and then he left, and he writes them to give them encouragement from another place. In fact, he's in jail at the time under trumped-up uh, charges, and so he writes back, and he's giving them encouragement. And the encouragement in chapter 2 of Philippians is uh, be humble. And so he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourself. And this was the whole 
the whole message. And then in chapter 2, he, he gives some examples, some models. If, if there were YouTube videos, he would say, hey, watch this. This is how you do it. And the first person he puts in front of them is, is Jesus. Uh, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so he's saying, hey, here is how, what it looks like. Now, if you're like me, I understand you can put Jesus up as an example, but he is exceptional, and I often feel unexceptional. And so what do you do if Jesus is the only example? I think Paul understood that, and so he gives us three other examples. He says, hey, Jesus is the ultimate, but then last week we looked at Paul said, hey, look at me. And today he says to the Philippians, look at a guy named Timothy. So we're going to talk about Timothy a little bit. And really, the, the beautiful thing about Timothy is he's this kind of humble servant who just sort of did what he was asked to do. And so our big idea for the day is we're all built to serve. Timothy, you, me, we're all built to serve, and we're happiest when we live out that purpose. Because this whole series is about having joy inside your heart. Not so much your circumstances, but joy from within. So Christ is the ultimate example, but now we have Timothy, and he's kind of this protege, and Paul plants this church in Philippi, and he has a couple of guys that come with him, a guy named Silas and a young man named Timothy. And we know a little bit about Timothy, and, and here's a little background about Timothy. This is when Paul and Timothy sort of first meet. Um, Paul went to a town called Derbe, and then on to a town called Lystra, where there was a young disciple named Timothy. And his mother was a Jewish believer, but his father was Greek. Timothy was well thought of by the believers, so Paul wanted him to join them on his journey. Every one of us has this unique sort of um, history about us. And Timothy had a, a unique history. And, and what was going to happen is, Paul was about to tell the Philippians, hey, I'm going to send Timothy back to you. So he writes this letter he sends it with a messenger, a guy named Epaphroditus. I know that's an odd name, uh, Epaphroditus. We're going to talk about him next week a little bit. And, and he hand delivers this letter. Now, can you imagine that form of communication, hand delivering a letter? I, I text my daughters, and if they don't respond within 10 minutes, I lose my mind. I don't know about you. It's like, what are they doing that's so important they can't answer their dad? who sired them, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, uh, I am integral in your life, uh, so text me back. Now, the problem with my kids is they want to text late at night, like at 10, you know, crazy stuff like that. And they'll text you after you go to bed. What is with, guys, if you're young, stop. I, I mean, really, we're old. Uh, we go to bed. Uh, we, we don't stay up till 2 and get up at 2. I mean, we go on to bed. They'll be texting, hey, did you see, you know, it's like, and you're in a group chat. You know, if you do a group chat, what is the deal? So, so I'm asleep. Now, I set my phone on, do not disturb, except your kids, you want to know if they're like, if they need you. And so I'm asleep, and all of a sudden, you know what your phone does, bling, and it's like, ah. So you look at it, and it's like, uh, are, you, are you guys watching this? No, I'm asleep. I'm, I'm sleeping right now. So I, I, I politely say, stop texting me. I'm asleep. Stop it. But 
the form of communication. If I call Miriam and it goes to voicemail, I think she's screening my calls. I mean, I want instant, instant contact. Not so much in the first century. Communication is difficult. I mean, it really is difficult. Uh, let, let me read this story to you about this married couple. They were having some troubles. And, and so this is what she writes in her journal. Tonight, John was acting weird. We had made plans to meet at a nice restaurant for dinner. Conversation wasn't flowing, so I suggested that we go someplace quiet so we should talk. He agreed, but he didn't have much to say. I asked him what was wrong, and he said nothing. I asked him if it was my fault he was upset, and he said he wasn't upset and that it had nothing to do with me and not to worry about it. On our way home, I told him I loved him, and he smiled slightly but kept driving. When we got home, he just sat there quietly and watched television. He continued to seem distant and absent. And finally, with silence all around us, I decided to go to bed. And about 15 minutes later, he came to bed. But I still felt there was a distraction, and his thoughts were somewhere else. He fell asleep. I don't know what to do. His journal. Rough day. Boat wouldn't start. Can't figure it out. Try again tomorrow. Okay. So the book of Philippians, Paul writes this really, stop, uh, Paul writes this really encouraging letter, very optimistic, hey, everything is going to be great, and then he, he sends it with Epaphroditus, and the letter basically says, I'm about to send to you Timothy. So, what sort of things did Timothy do as a servant as a humble servant, that we could do too. That, that's kind of what we're going to look at today. Now, the traits of Timothy to emulate. It's something that he's our model. He's our, he's our example. First is you serve where you're sent. Wherever you find yourself, that is where you serve. Whether you feel like it's a great job or not, whether you feel like it's where you want to go to school or not, you serve where you are. And, and Jesus said, you know, if I can trust you with little, I can trust you with much. And so sometimes it's simply a test. This may not be where you're going to end up for always, but it's where you are now. Serve where you are now. So here's Paul writing to his friends in Philippi. If the Lord Jesus is willing, I hope to send Timothy to you soon for a visit. Then he can, come, uh, he can cheer me up by telling me how, things are, how you're getting along. Basically, I'm going to send Timothy, he's going to chat with you guys, and then he's going to come back and tell me how you're doing. So, Paul understood he's in this court process, it might take a while, and so he says, hey, this court process might take a while, I'm going to send Timothy, I'm going to find out how you guys are doing. And there's a real key phrase here, if the Lord Jesus is willing. Now, in the South, what do we say? Lord willing and, and the creek don't rise, right? We, we get that kind of from this. In James, it talks about, um, come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we're going to do such and such, and we're going to go to such and such a town and spend a year there. Yet, you do not even know what tomorrow will bring. Uh, you're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, we ought to say, if the Lord wills. This is what I'm going to do. If the Lord wills. Now, there's a, there's a real distinction between asking God to bless what we have already planned and asking God if our plans are okay. It's subtle, but it's there. To, to ask God to bless our plans is basically saying, I'm going to do this 
you should bless it. Well, God doesn't have to bless anything he didn't want to bless. To ask God to make a plan and then say, God, is this okay with you? Now, that's completely, completely different. Um, I kind of call it the, the right of first refusal. The right of first refusal. That, that's saying, God, you, you choose. You're sovereign. You know I'm going to make a plan. I mean, I'm not just going to sit here and, and, and just hope it goes okay. But I'm going to ask you, and then I'm going to give you right of first refusal. This is how it works at my house. Let's say it's Valentine's Day. And I tell Miriam, I've made reservations at Long John Silver's for Valentine's dinner. Because it's a classy place. You know, it's classy, and you have to call ahead. And uh, now, But I say, is that okay with you? Now, I give Miriam right of first refusal, which she always exercises when Long John Silver's is involved, usually with the expression, over my dead body, uh, kind of something like that. Okay, so, with, with God, this is, I have a plan. I feel like it might be the way you want to go. You want me to, what you want me to do. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, in, I'm interested to know if you're okay with this plan. I need you to sign off on it. God, do you, do you sign off on it? Not, I, I need you to bless it. Because if it's wrong, you don't want him to sign off on it. You really want him to say, no, let's do something else. And it's okay to make a plan and have God redirect you. It's, it's all right. In fact, that's a much, it's much better than going your own way. And so we give God the right of first refusal. So he says, if, if Lord willing, if the Lord willing. And it's not just some tag-on phrase. You know, we tag stuff. Have you ever prayed for a meal and you say something like, um, Lord, bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies? Have you ever prayed that over a chili cheese corn dog? I believe God can do anything. I'm pretty sure he's not blessing a chili cheese corn dog to the nourishment of our bodies. I'm pretty sure. Because there's, he'd have to change molecular structures. I mean, he could do it. He could do it. Maybe we're praying that because we hope he does. I, I don't know. But look, from the look of some of us, he ain't, he's not answering that particular prayer. Anyway, when we say, Lord willing... We're saying, God, uh, I've come up with a strategy and a plan and a, I have goals. But I, I need to know if this is what you want me to do. And if it's not, if I get an indication this isn't right, I need to be willing to say, then I'm going to go a different direction. So, so this is what Paul is saying. Hey, if the Lord willing, I, I, I believe this is in God's will to send you Timothy. Lord willing, he's going to come. Um, and then he talks about Timothy. You know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. As a son with his father. I, I remember <laughs> I had a great Christian dad who loved me. He was harsh sometimes and he wasn't always pleasant. I mean, I don't want to build him up like he was perfect. He wasn't perfect. And he did things and he was passive-aggressive occasionally, that sort of thing. However, I, I never doubted if he loved me. And I watched him deal with people, and I learned a lot. I, I learned how to do things. Um, we started a muffler shop together. And, and I would watch him interact with, with customers. And I learned, I can't tell you how much I learned, just watching him deal with people. And he had these little axioms that he would use. And, 
and I still apply them to my life today. This is, you know, this is how I live my life around a lot of what my dad taught me. Kind of interesting. And so Paul was saying, hey, I'm pouring my life into a guy named Timothy, and he's coming to see you. And he is like a representative. He is my right-hand man. He, what he says is like what I say. Uh, I'm sending him to you because uh, he knows what I'm thinking. Now, interestingly enough, the, the Bible talks about us, those of us who serve. We're, we're supposed to be, well, Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. We're, we're to make a difference where we are, wherever we are. I, I love the way Tim Keller talks about this particular verse. He talks about corn on the cob, which is always a good topic. And, and he says, you know, corn on the cob, you, you put butter and you put salt, uh, unless you're a communist. And, and so uh, you put butter and salt on there. Now, the thing about, he says, the thing about salt is, when, when I'm eating my corn on the cob, I don't think to myself, that is great salt. It's the best salt I've ever had. That salt must come from the Sea of Galilee. I mean, that must be the, it's the greatest salt ever. There's no salt in the Sea of Galilee, by the way. But anyway, uh, it's the greatest salt I've ever, I've ever tasted. We don't, ever, we don't notice the salt. The salt just makes the corn better. And so as followers of Christ, when we serve, we're the salt of the earth. We make things, we enhance stuff. In, in, in your family, you enhance your family. And, and, and in, in your work, you enhance your work, and you give an honest day's work for a, a fair pay, and, and you don't complain, and, and you offer your very best when you work. You, at school, you are the salt. You make things better for other people, and the teachers don't complain about you back in the teacher's lounge. When you're the salt of the earth, when we, when we function as the salt of the earth, everything is better around us. And really nobody knows why. That's what salt does. You don't notice it except when it's not there. Have you ever had corn without salt? That's horrible. Or butter? Ah, it's horrible. It's like not good. It's really not. You know where they have great corn? Long John Silver's. Okay, anyway. All right, let's go on. Let's go on. Salt makes everything better. Secondly, we serve to our strengths. Super important here. Now, let, let me set this up. The plan, send Timothy, here's the deal. And, and we talked about his qualifications, right? Let's talk about them just for a second. He had a dad who was a Greek, not Jewish. He had a mom and he had a grandmother who were Jewish. And the notion is this. He would have been educated in the Greek world, in the non-Jewish world, because his father was not Jewish. And so he went to you know, public school, if you will. He, he knew how things worked in, in the Greek world. But he also, at home, he got instruction from his mom and his grandmother. It's what it says here. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother, Lois, and in your mother, Eunice. They, they, we, we know your parents and your, your mom and your grandmother. And, and you, are uniquely, you are uniquely qualified to go back to Philippi. Because those people weren't Jewish. And Timothy was kind of not all Jewish. He kind of had his foot in both camps a little bit. He had a dad who wasn't Jewish and a mom who was Jewish. And he kind of knew both, kind of knew both sides of the coin. He was uniquely qualified to understand that culture. Now, 
As a Kentuckian, um, Jeff Godsey, where are you? Jeff. Jeff's from Tennessee, right? Yes, okay. Now, in Kentucky, if a Tennessean like Jeff shows up, we don't have a lot to do with him. Yeah, I, I know. And we don't want you, so uh, it works out good. Now, here's the difference. When I moved to Michigan, a foreign land, if Jeff, uh, Jeff Godsey showed up, somebody from Tennessee, I'm from Kentucky, right? In Kentucky, we don't even like Tennesseans. You move to Michigan, where there's nobody southern, they don't even talk right. They don't say mitten, they say mitten. Who does? That's a middle, dis, uh, so they were just crazy. All right, anyway. Jeff Godsey shows up in Michigan. Guess who's my best friend? We go to lunch together. I, I, I mean, it's like, oh my word, a southerner. It was the funniest thing. I didn't care who you were. Even if you were from Arkansas. I mean, it was like, yes, yes, we're going to be friends. Okay, so. Timothy, uniquely qualified because he is kind of Jewish. He, he knows about Jewishness, but he also knows about not Jewishness, about being a Greek. And so he goes to Philippi, and guess what? There were very few Jews in Philippi. When, when, the, when the church started, there wasn't a Jewish culture there. In fact, his, history tells us that in a community, to have a synagogue, to have a Jewish church, you had to have at least 10 male Jews. Well, Philippi didn't even have that. They didn't even have a synagogue. And so think about how God had uniquely sort of qualified Timothy to fit that culture. Now, you have a history. You have a background. You're uniquely qualified. The Bible says we're God's handiwork. We're his masterpiece created in Christ. To do good works, you are uniquely qualified to do something. Your qualifications are different than mine. Your history is different than mine. I, I love the way um, Rick Warren talks about this. We're shaped to serve. Every one of us has a spiritual gift. We're all gifted somehow, supernaturally gifted to do something. We all have a passion, a heart for something. We have a passion for something. Um, Something like, like you see or you hear a story or you see something on video and that just is, it just ignites your passion. Uh, I have a heart for that. Uh, every one of us has different abilities. You have skills and, and you can do different things. Every one of us has a different personality. We're kind of wired to do certain things and not certain things. We all have different experiences. We are shaped to serve and God uniquely shapes each one of us differently in order to serve. So, I have no one else, he says, Paul says about Timothy. I have nobody else like him. He is uniquely gifted. You know how Timothy has proved himself like a son with a father. He has served with me in preaching the good news. Now, this expression, I have no one else, is the Greek word isosuke. Iso means isolation, one. Isosuke means sold. Basically what he's saying is, he thinks the way I think. He acts the way I act. He is like me in thought, in reaction. And so I'm sending him to you because he's kind of just like me. 
there was another church that Paul started in a really wild town called Corinth. It was kind of like Vegas on steroids. It was it was crazy, and they they had they were sort of they had a level of perversion inside the church that would make you know Jerry Springer blush. I mean, it was really kind of a bad place. And, and so one time, this is what Paul writes to them: uh, "I urge you to imitate me. That's why I'm sending you Timothy. I, I want you to to imitate me. So I'm going to send Timothy." I can't come, I'm busy doing something else, but I'm going to send my right-hand man, and he knows what I think, and he acts like I act, and he thinks the way I think, and we're one soul, we're kind of the same. And so you serve where you're sent, and you serve to your strengths. And fathers, I just want to think, just think about this just for a second. The, the level of responsibility that we bear as a father with his son, he says about Timothy, I have role modeled, I have, I have been the person who models a certain kind of life for, my, for this protege of mine. And we who are dads are modeling a kind of life whether we want to or not. Whether it's intentional or not, we are modeling a certain kind of life. So we serve where we're sent. We serve to our strengths. Thirdly, we serve selflessly. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Genuine concern. It's an interesting Greek verb. Uh, the verb is merimna. Uh, merimna. It, it is strong. It basically means um, he worries over you. It's sort of a mother word. Merimna, you know, mothers worry. Uh, Miriam worries over us, and we like that because we want her to care about us, right? And so last summer, uh, my, my oldest daughter found a place um, called Turtleback Falls, and, and we went on Turtleback Falls, and, and Miriam was there, and she watched us. And, and, and when Miriam saw Turtleback Falls, I mean, it's not too bad. When Miriam saw it, this is what she saw. I mean, it was like, uh, uh, we nearly marimded her to death. I mean, she was worried to death over us. And, and what he's saying is, hey, Timothy, he, he worries over you. Everyone else looks out for their own interests, but not Timothy. He, he, he is worried for you. He, he, he wants for you the very best. Now, it's a learned trait, frankly. We can learn to care about other people. You can learn it. Uh, let me tell you this kind of goofy story about this lady she was on a business trip to Europe and she calls home and she's talking to her husband and she uh, kind of immediately in the conversation says how's the cat and with no compassion in his voice at all he says the cat's dead and and his wife is like oh oh honey you can't just say it you can't just tell me you have, you have to ease into that. And he, he didn't know the protocol. So he's like, well, tell me how it works. And she said, okay. I call you this time, and, and you say, the cat's on the roof. And then the next time I call, I'm going to call you know, from Paris or wherever the next flight lands, and you're going to say, the cat's acting a little sluggish. And then I'll call you from London, and you're going to say, the cat is very sick. And then I'm going to land in New York, and, and you're going to say, I had to take the cat to the vets. And so then when I come in, and you say, oh, I'm so sorry, the cat is gone. 
Now I've had, a, I've had the opportunity to process, you know, what's going on. And he was like, oh, I had no idea. I, I, I didn't know, I had no idea what the protocol was. I, I'll do better. And she said, well, okay, good. I'm glad you got that. How's my mother? He thinks for a minute. He says, your mom's on the roof. Uh, she's on the roof. There's a process in helping people, and sometimes we have to break it to them slowly. And I think one of the things Timothy must have had was an ability to go back to Philippi and to ease into conversations that were maybe difficult, to to not be too abrupt. Because sometimes you have to ease in. Now, sometimes you have to be stern and... And you have to do it right away. And I, I get that. But sometimes it needs to be tactful. Robbie Zacharias tells a couple of stories, kind of parallel stories. There was a flight from uh, Dallas to um, Toronto on Air Canada in 1983. It's not a great picture, but this is the best one I could find. Over, basically over Kentucky, uh, the plane caught fire. And... The pilot had to land quickly. He landed in northern Kentucky, in the Cincinnati, northern Kentucky airport. And he landed, and then when they opened the doors, I mean, the flames just exploded because now there's extra oxygen. And, and several people died, but many, many lived through this. And, and he was the last one off the plane. They pulled him through the cockpit window, and his, his pilot's suit was on fire. And... What, what an example of someone who cared. He, he made sure everyone else was off first. Now, he, he puts that in to parallel, a kind of a negative parallel. With, with In Seoul, Korea, a couple years ago, in 2014, there was a, a fair that capsized. One of the first people off the boat was the captain. H- hundreds of students were in that boat. They were waiting for instructions from the captain to ba- abandon ship. And until they heard the instructions, they weren't going to abandon ship. And many of them lost their lives. I mean, just hundreds. It was so tragic that the, the, uh, the teacher who had them on the boat, he committed suicide because he, he couldn't live with the fact that he was alive and so many of his students were, were dead. He... he um, couldn't stand it. The prime minister offered to resign. And Zacharias points to both captains. The one captain of the airliner did everything he could. He had compassion. He did everything he could to save the people on his plane. The one captain did everything he could to save himself. Serving selflessly is uncommon. But it's what we're called to do as a follower of Christ. Lastly, we find opportunities to serve. But you know that Timothy has proved himself. He has served with me. He he looks for opportunities to serve. He doesn't just sit on his blessed assurance, but he goes and he serves. He found found something to do. Um, Let me end with this illustration. Have you ever heard of athleisure wear? There's not a guy in here that knows what I'm talking about. Okay, here's the deal. It, it is active wear that uh, you can also wear, like, to the office. Um, estimates are that this will be a $100 billion um, 
enterprise by the year 2020. In fact, most of the growth in the clothing world has been athleisure wear. Now, you, you can wear it not just to work out, but also to work. Now, for those of you who are worried, it hasn't replaced pajamas at Walmart. So you're still okay with that, just, just so you know. You still do that. What's really interesting about athleisure wear, pe people are kind of studying this, is that though athletic wear sales have increased, athletic activity hasn't. We like the idea of wearing something sporty. We just don't want to do anything in it. We, we like the notion, look, listen to this stat. Um, sales of yoga apparel have increased 45%. The um, people who are actually participating in yoga has increased 5%. We like the notion of it. We like the notion of stuff. We don't always want to do stuff. And, and so it is here. Um, we, we're to serve where we're sent, and we're to serve to our strength, and we're to serve selfishly, and we're to do something. My daddy, uh, I worked with him in the muffler shop. One of his first instructions to, to me was, don't make me tell you everything to do. You have eyes, and you have energy, and you have time, and if you see something that needs to be done, you do it. Too often we wait for a program, or we wait for an, an emphasis of some sort, and a church-wide emphasis to do something in order to serve people. You don't need an emphasis. If you've got a neighbor who needs help, serve them. If you're driving down the road and you see somebody that's broken down and you have opportunity and you can, serve them. So my prayer for us this week is that God is going to open doors for us to serve. Because I think he'll give us opportunities. And when he does, we're to do it... Uh, Wherever we're sent, wherever we are, we're to do it to our strengths. We're to do it selflessly. I can't help everybody, but I can help somebody. Too often we say, we, we sort of uh, salve our own consciences and say, I can't help everybody, so I'm not going to help anybody. How about let's look at it this way. I can't help everybody, but I'm going to do for some what I wish I could do for all. I, I wish I could help everybody. I can't help everybody, but I'm going to help somebody. I'm not just going to sit here and not help. I'm not going to sit here and not serve. I can't help everybody, but I can help somebody. And I wish I could help everybody, but I'm going to help somebody. And I'm going to treat somebody like I wish I could treat everybody. Because God has wired us to serve. I mean, we're no more like Jesus than when we serve. Uh, he, he, Paul said, he is our model. He is the ultimate model. He served to the point of death, even death on a cross. I mean, he was willing to do whatever it took to serve people. And this is a challenge for us, that we serve in a similar fashion. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge in front of us today. Thank you for the model that Timothy was to us and for us. That he served in such a way that shows us how to do it. That we just find those opportunities People don't have to bring them to us. We hunt them out. Lord, you've gifted and wired each one of us in this room to do great things. It's cool that you call us your masterpieces. Help us to find the role. Help us to find the area. Help us to play to our strengths. Help us to do what we're called to do. 
Help us to be salt in this world. We ask it humbly in Jesus' name.